Thank you for listening to True Crime 49. We hope you enjoyed our Patreon series, Inches and Mercury, Episode Contact. Special gratitude to our listeners in Washington, D.C., Alaska, Hawaii, Texas, and Montana. Email your address and we will send you a TC49 gift to the first hundred. Thank you. The state trooper in SWAT gear's eye flashed in the focused light in the reticle of the rifle scope. The young man in the crosshairs was a champion wrestler at West High. He is of African descent. The trooper can hear him yelling not far away, and the young man looks directly into the scope and into the trooper's eye. He is partly clothed, his pants had been drenched in blood, the red deep in contrast across him, as he is an absolute albino. Cloyd had given the little boy his large shoes and heavy coat. The boy was under the coat, shuffling clumsy in the big shoes, his older brother holding him tight and repositioning the pistol. Then the shot rang out from somewhere in front of him. Welcome to True Crime 49. Almost every name for the seven or so different types of albinoism Start with the word ocular, which is of the eye. A byproduct of this chromosome trick shot is the white skin, pink eyes, and white gold hair. But it's all about the eye. The protein that is never developed correctly washes all the way downstream to the skin and the hair where it denies you the color makers. But where it really did the damage was in the eye. That's where the whole game is played. The materials that our bodies use to build the optic nerve, plugging directly into the back of the eyeball. His is smaller than it should be. And when it branches out across the expanse of pixels in the eye, his branches out less often. And when the ends of the strands make the rods and the cups to gather in the light inside of the eye, his are far and few between. Pink eyes, sad, in disrepair. Terence Cloyd, born March 16, 1973, in Kansas City, had albinism. He sometimes referred to himself as the Black Ghost. Terence's home life was unstable only sporadically offering him the support he needed. He moved to Anchorage, Alaska at 10 years old. By the time he was in middle school, it was clear he was having difficulty dealing with his differences. In high school, he developed into a champion wrestler and found a family in his coaches and teammates. There were prospective college scholarships and his own stable home in the future. The optic nerve on which we see goes back and connects into your mind, and it's pretty good, but you can still trick it, with sleight of hand and a dove and a pretty girl. And you will believe the things you saw as the magician poofs his wand and what was so becomes not so. The big top of the brain is actually two parts, laying so close they appear as one, they are not. One side, logical, categorized, void of even the concept of emotion. 
the other side, illiterate and fluid. It cannot even count, but seeing everything for what it is. The name of the thing? Oblivious. And deep at the bottom where they come together, the two sides shaped like a cave down in there. Half of this little cave is the one side, and the other half, the other. And the ceiling and the walls of the cave are made of eyeball material. Not pointed outward like we're used to. It's pointed downward and into the cave. And below the clear floor, your subconscious is looking up at you. And the ceiling of the cave is looking down on you. Some would say it's just an early alert system. A bird digging excited beneath the thread roots in the soil sees a twig lift barely in view. The twig lifting upward an instant memory of an attack, where his beautiful mate one spring was snatched by the feral cat, her feathers fanned out and crinkled out of place, the cat destroying her as he had flown away. The darkness and loneliness the adrenaline gland receives the pulse for a mainline squirt of juice, and all of the body attached to this circuit board of survival, hunger, thirst, behavior to those around you, and of course eventually, carefully, it allows you to sleep. The circuit board flashes out a high-powered signal, and the bird explodes upward as the house cat is clearing the brush barely nicking his tail feathers as he lifted one pump of the wings. Memories, seasons, flash on the walls of the ceiling. The second pump of the wings, lifetimes flashing right before your eyes in the dream cave. While Terence was growing and becoming a respectable athlete at school, he was developing deviancy outside. Terence and a few other friends had stolen credit cards, trying to use them for clothing at Nordstrom's. He was charged with a felony, but later the case was dismissed due to lack of witnesses. Being albino and a stocky wrestler, it wasn't hard for Terence to make a name for himself at the teen club Mirage. His anger was becoming more evident as he got into fights, refused to leave the premises, and at least on one occasion, a car chase that ended in a gunfight. Terence, a passenger in his older brother's vehicle, was struck in the stomach and buttocks. He would receive treatment from the hospital and recover enough to finish the wrestling season. The cross-section of a caveman, then. Laughing as the wildebeest kneels down slowly to the ground and dragging meat home to old mother. She had kept him hidden under fur and he had clung to her paps as an infant. After they had all eaten, the bones are still in hand, relaxed and gnawing with greasy lips, and waved around the rib bone in storytelling around the fire. The young maiden, sitting across from the fire, everyone knows that they are basically together. I'm not sure how it translates in caveman, but keep your hands off. In fact, don't even get caught looking at her cross-wired, malformed, abnormal, and dysfunctional. This dream cave, unfortunately, is made up mostly of eyeball material. 
This is the place where you lived every time you ever dreamed, and every time that you were lost in the fantasy. Where will you go, you clever little worm? Serial victims found and unfound, the detectives are finding just the scattered pieces of, the killer rebuilding his fantasy in the real world trying to make a turn back in the river of creation. Panting in the strain of the current, eyes staring at the thing that must be mother. Even if for just a short moment made real, now temporary, here in the real world. Patricia Cloyd, born in Kansas City, had five children, four boys and one beautiful daughter, Nairobi. Trisha struggled with vices and had a difficult time providing a home for her children. Terence was known to stay with coaches and friends. Only eight-year-old Nairobi and their ten-year-old brother regularly lived with Trisha. The younger siblings attended Scenic Park Elementary, surrounded by churches and parks not far from their home. Cloyd is standing near his mother's living room off of Resurrection Drive. He had lived so long at night. The quiet, empty witching hours. Standing there at an awkward angle, offset and unattached to the floor plan. In a weird place to stop and stare off. White skin. White pants. White shirt. The tub had made it into the final round of the scenario. Obscure like a strange dream, glistening lips, clenched teeth, wagging golden hair head. He would walk in on her, and her nakedness, demanding of them both, wordless things that say, look at how you made me, waiting for an answer that doesn't exist. Terrence made it to Highland Community College, Washington State, in the fall of 1992, on a wrestling scholarship and disability financial aid. There was some adjusting, and Terrence seemed to mature. April 4th, 1993, something was burning in Terrence. He showed up at his coach's house, desperate to go back to Alaska. The coach and a teammate tried to reason with the frenetic Terrence, who left after an argument. Hours later, he was located at the Alaska Airlines terminal, and the police were called. Terrence had secured himself on a high ledge at the Seattle-Tacoma airport, refusing to come down. The police apprehended and arrested Terrence for failure to comply. His mother, Patricia, would fly to Terrence, admitting him to the psychiatric hospital. After a brief stay, he joined his mother and his siblings back in Alaska. Mother was asleep in the hum of the darkness. Her left eardrum would feel the pulse of the door being whipped open. Memories cease and flash on the walls and the ceiling, a shot of adrenaline as her chest sucks in sharp air. And she would open wide her eyes and lift herself up like a rattlesnake striking a speeding truck tire as it passes. Lifetimes flash right before your eyes. Fears of getting rustled into the bathroom. Her babies coming up out of the bedrooms. Huddled in and commanded into the bathtub. No, she said with finality. It sounded desperate and cheap. The little ones were tugging hot fingers getting grips in her long nightshirt. 
huddled for a long time while Cloyd explained it all in detail. The FBI had the house surrounded, and all of these other things that she had never heard of or imagined. He's going back and forth and he's waving the pistol around. It would take a lot of initiative to go for the gun while it's in his hand. But what if he laid it on the counter? Well, he put his hands on his temples. And she went for the gun. He was the champion wrestler at West. The gun is snatched back and his eyes flare that she is on the edge of the waterfall of his fantasy. It's tumbling and tearing the white clouds down there, rivers in there somewhere thick, heavy, down in the middle of the white blind vapors. And she can't see it, but she can hear it pounding in her ears. The short tussle for the gun, and as he reprimanded her, he lost footing in the fullness of it and went surreal over the edge of the waterfall in his fantasy. And it was all he could think about. Gulp loudly, thirsty throat, and made it obvious the gun was unattended in the small bathroom. And she did it. She went for the gun too. Tussle again unarmed, she struck him with a soap dish and it marked his face and she saw it hurt him down deep. And she saw the moment he gave in to it. She's clawing at him, and the gun, and crying for her babies, and the rising grunt rising in pitch frantic and higher as the pistol shaking in piled up hands moves slowly toward her mother's head, and shaking next to her skin, and the gun pops off. Her mother is on top of her and her brother in the slippery tub. It's never as good as you imagined it and it was over too fast. He blames her even still. And stands over and began kicking her face, each pumping hit, a satisfying grunt, her head flopping back and forth rhythmically. Slipping for good hits as the children rattled, scrambling beneath. Stopping and heaving, he grabs the little girl in the headlock and brings the gun under her chin. Seemed like forever they were in there. And the blood, like red sour cream, thickened completely, and it squished between her toes as his breath heaved right behind her ear. And the steel barrel felt good as he pushed a little harder up between the softness of her parted jaw bones behind her chin. And when she looked down once and saw it was her mother's blood that had squished between her toes, and she lost it. And she flailed, and the scream was cut short. Startled with the pistol shot, shook everyone as her throat gave way. And her eyes were of bewilderment and betrayal. As she began to shake violently, the heart pumping frantically nothing but sloppy wet noise. And she phases out and lay still her leg muscles quivering for quite some time. They were in there for hours, a clock ticking blindly somewhere in the night, and the refrigerator buzzing on. Patricia and her young daughter, Nairobi, were dead 
with Terence holding his ten-year-old brother clad in shorts and no shoes at gunpoint in the brisk Alaska night. One of the factors in Terence's behavior was the deterioration of his eyesight. One report noted in high school, athletic Terence ran full speed into a wall he could not see. The coach in Washington had said Terence needed to go home to help his mother and his siblings. But on May 5, 1993, days before his last day, he got behind the wheel of his mom's van and drove it into the back of a city bus, unable to see. He'd stopped to pick up his little brother yesterday at school. The principal recalled later how the little brother wanted to just go, but Cloyd began in a hot argument with the principal. The little brother's handled and yanked out of the front door put out into the cold. The nurse was driving home early and saw someone walking heavy in the middle of the road. He was half covered in blood and frightened. The little boy, wearing part pajamas and shivering barefoot on the asphalt. The troopers and police are hollering across the pavement to negotiate. The state trooper in SWAT gear's eye flashes in the focused light of the reticle of the rifle scope and the young man in the crosshairs is hollering back something. Whatever it is he's saying, his eyes say, he's for real. In hostage negotiations, there's a thing called the black swan. Something the person will say or refer to, if you catch it, it may be the only insight given to safely talk them down. What is it he's saying? Something about the poor little boy. He is wearing the older brother's shoes now and coat. Just a nudge from all of us walking away from this one. The sniper barely hears the muffled words, but he can read his lips through the rifle scope. The man is full of bitterness. And his lips are saying, The boy looks like my brother. The chill wipes an angry tear away. Nose sniffle in the cold steam. He breathes out heavy and frustrated. He is an alien. It is time, he says, for us to go to the airport. Green light on the albino. His pale white chest caves in and his frantic chalky hands clawing for the pistol beside the little boy's knee on the cold asphalt. As a steam sprays out symmetrically above his older brother's ear, the screens and the mine tattered and misfiring, all of it now flying out into a vapored mess, into the real world, sucked out and following the sniper bullet. Capgras syndrome is a disorder that leads a person to believe their loved one to be an imposter, similar to Terence's anxiety about the FBI and aliens. Often, it is a disruption in the processing between what the eye sees and the signal to the brain. Skin carries psychological weight. Robert Hansen's insecurities due to his acne and scarring helped devolve him into hunting women. The pressures Terence may have felt from the differences, especially in college, away from his family while his eyesight was deteriorating, and the hardships of Patricia's unstable home provide many stressors to his mental state. The troopers run up and grab the small boy by his arms and run away from the slumped and bloody mess. He still believes that he is already dead. The large coat dangling down in the air, 
still smells like his older brother. Words you claimed on paper from under sheets of blood. Your face framed in dark curls like a portrait the sun shone through highlights of red. What color I wonder and how straight will it turn plastered back with the sweat of your blood. We kept the name of the young survivor confidential, in hopes he was doing well. Unfortunately, Xander's Hernan was arrested with $120,000 worth of meth, crack, cocaine, and heroin in Kodiak, as well as a gun infraction, landing him 54 months in lockup with three and a half years on probation.